When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. I have someone who I know and adore and is one of the most creative people I've ever encountered and have had the opportunity to get to know. Haven't worked with yet. Still working on him about that. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Working on it. Uh, Sabrina is here, of course, and we are welcoming Mark Cherry. Now, if you don't know who Mark is, he is a creator, a showrunner, a writer, a producer, and the the man behind the scenes of so many of your favorite shows from Desperate Housewives to Golden Girls back in the day when he was but a young pup. And I love the title of the new show, which is Why Women Kill. And that is something I feel like I am sort of psychically with you (laughs) on because I've thought a lot about murder during all of this. You know what? Yeah, the the, uh, the life has changed so much in Hollywood in just the, the past year since the first season of my show premiered. And getting ready for the second season, I, you know, I, I feel so much more juice, <laughs> you know, so it's going to probably affect the writing of season two. But, um, but thank you for that lovely intro. And it's lovely to see you. Sabrina, it's lovely to meet you. And you as well. So, you know, it's, we're coming up on the anniversary of my mother's passing. And I've been thinking a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people have, about sort of the state of comedy in the culture now. And you have always, I mean, it's funny because we look back now on Golden Girls and think of it as so tame, but at the time it was cutting edge to do. It was was shocking. It was shocking to have a a show about, you know, women who were not young, but you've always. Older older women talking about sex was unheard of at at that time. Exactly. And all of your shows have always had an edge, but I guess my my biggest question, and it's what I've been thinking about, because people are always asking me, "What would my mom be saying during this?" What has happened to comedy? I mean, we are living in a cancel culture where nobody can put a step wrong. Is comedy dead as we know it? I actually think that, from for my two cents about it, um, the people who your mother. Um, is most aligned with the stand-up comics are on the, the forefront of the battle of saying, no, I'm allowed to j- joke about this. I'm allowed to say these words. This is necessary for our culture. And stand-ups have a, a unique um, ability to do that because they're self-employed. They're not um, subject to as much corporate influence as say, say a sitcom writer is because a sitcom writer, you're answering to the studio and the network. And I've been very heartened by the stand-up comics who um, really 
make their outrageous jokes. And when people on the internet descend as they are wont to do, they fight them and go, this is, this is necessary. And, and, and there are many people who, who agree with that. And so I think your mother <clears throat> would probably be very proud and would agree with a lot of the people who say some stuff that I would, maybe some of it makes me laugh, maybe it doesn't, but I appreciate their ability to, to, to say it because what good is freedom of speech you know, freedom of speech, they always say it's freedom of speech um, and you don't have to worry about the government's involvement. But if we get to the point where, well, no, there's not really freedom of speech because the internet will shut you down, then we don't really have it. So I'm, I'm really, I'm heartened by the people in the world of standup who are the, the ones fighting. And that being said, I can also speak for the other side, which is there's nothing wrong with being a little bit more sensitive to, to the, the feelings and opinions of people who have felt disenfranchised. I think we can, so I think we can do, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time, which is we can be a, a little bit more sensitive to, to what we say, but we must fight to the death to defend other people's rights to say offensive things. And especially right. in the world of comedy, because hopefully what you're doing is you're not trying to just hurt people, you're actually trying to get a laugh. And isn't right. that always the case where it's usually the person, what they said wasn't even remotely funny. That's usually the most offensive yeah. stuff. Yes. I mean, you you might be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, but most most of us can't. Um, but as a, as a writer and creator of shows that have always been forward, and not necessarily in the language, but in the topics and the edginess, how are you going to navigate this? I mean, we, we brought up fighting with the studio, fighting with the network. We used to have, and me as the EP especially, we used to have endless fights with the network, with things we wanted to say or my mom wanted to say on Fashion Police. We got to the point that we would put in two or three things that were so offensive that they felt like they were doing their job pulling them out, and that way the other ones that we wanted could sneak in. Like, it literally became a barter system. As, as a creator, and again, I, I keep going back to Maybe you don't realize how far out in front you are. How are you going to do this? There's such a there's such a craving, especially for comedy right now. Yet all the streamers and all the networks are terrified. How are you? I mean, how's it going to affect your creativity? How it? It's. I, I feel like it's a, a tightrope for you. Um, you know, well, the big change for me is I went from working on network television to now I'm doing working at CBS All Access. And it's a streaming service. So actually, for me, I just felt a big, like, you know, a release. I mean, it's suddenly, it's, it's, I'm allowed to do more. It was really funny. The first season, I was allowed to use curse words. And I was like a 10-year-old boy in a candy store going, <laughs> you know, I can say, fuck, yay. <laughs> and then season two, I started writing season two. I'm like, why did I need to curse so much? Because this doesn't always make it better. And I realized I was having my own little rebellion from, from some ridiculous uh, networks strictures. And, and the truth is for me, it's, it's you want enough freedom to, to do your art, but it always still goes down to what am I trying to say? And it's the ideas that are the, the most dangerous thing and the most important. And sometimes we'll get caught in some censor just trying to really focus on this joke and can you say this word or, or whatever. And at the, end of, at the end of the day, we're still, I think, we can still talk about the issues that, that make us feel and, and, and are in our gut. 
And um, I, I still think that there's still a place where we can talk about those ideas. People are more apt to police the minutia of the words you use. And in terms of the, the, the bigger ideas, I think we're in probably on firmer territory, but that of course goes to what is it people are wanting to talk about. And this, Sabrina, I would love to ask this question of you. Um, are we in a place yet where we can joke about Black Lives Matter issues related? How do you feel if you ever hear comedians start to, to make jokes in that area? I think it goes back to what you were saying. If you are in that position and you're trying to make light of it, although it's not a light issue, it's so heavy and everybody's so sensitive, I think there has to be a balance. Um, you're gonna have to step out on the ledge at some point. And I feel like uh, you're got, you have to be ready for what you're gonna face. Um, people are so hypersensitive right now. And I think that we've got to move to the middle. And to me, laughter has helped to do that um, in our society. How to do it? Yes, it's going to be a challenge. It really is because, let's be honest, you're not going to please all the people all the time. There's going to be someone somewhere some troll that is feeling some kind of way. And you have to be respectful too of that. But I think there needs to be a move, a shift, um, just for a lighter, a lighter sense of being. Everything's so heavy. Every Everything's just so tense right now. And being able to laugh has been proven to be helpful, I think. And yeah. what, I, what, I, what I look at though is, <clears throat> and again, thinking about talking to you, and my friends and I discussed this, is so many of the classic, hilarious movies could not get made now. You Some like not, it hot. Some so, like it hot. Get hot. I didn't mm -hmm. even think of that one. You can't make, I mean, you can't make, obviously, Blazing Saddles. You can't make Airplane. You can't make Animal House. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And that's what concerns me is, you know, are we going back to the days where it's, you know, TV is three feet on the floor if you're in the bedroom? You know, yeah, that there's, I, that there's, there's, <clears throat> that creativity and humor is going to be lost in fear of being canceled. Well, and it's, it's funny because you think of Some Like It Hot and I would be fascinated to talk because, you know, the, the rap against Some Like It Hot is that we're laughing because it's men in dresses, which some would say is now offensive to big portions of the trans community. And I, I think where I would like to see that debate held is with a bunch of trans people, because sometimes the activists who promote the causes and are out in, in front and speaking the loudest aren't necessarily reflective of the opinions of the group they're purportedly representing. And, and I think the same could be true of, you know, talking to um, African American activists about a movie like Blazing Saddles or Gone with the Wind. I actually listened to the, um, the film historian they had, I, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but she, very elegant woman who um, does the now the little prologue to Gone with the Wind, yeah. where she puts it in historical con context. And I thought it was just a lovely, reasonable, articulate, um, helpful thing to, to listen to. And I thought, well, you know, if this is what helps put something in context and we just talk about it, well, that's not so bad. I, I enjoyed hearing it. It made sense to me. And, and, and I, I don't know that I learned that much from it. Some of what, most of what she was saying I knew. But it was it was calm. 
-hmm. and it was reasonable. And I think when you start telling people, you can't do this, and the voice is loud and obnoxious and judgmental, that's what's not helpful. Whereas if you approach anything, if any activist wants to say, if you want to have a talk about why Adele can't wear a certain hairstyle to a festival, the person, the people who go, you're canceled, I'm done with you, not helpful, not helping your cause. Whereas if you want to have a reasonable talk about, well, is that, is that acceptable? Is that cultural appropriation? And let's talk about it, you know, what cult cultural appropriation is and do we all agree with the idea that there even is such a thing in America, which is supposedly welcoming to all cultures and, and mixing them all up. I'm, I'm more interested in a reasonable debate where people calmly um, exchange their opinions. And I know I'm more likely to be swayed by someone who is speaking in a, in a rational manner than I am by someone who's just um, angry and willing to cancel. Right. And so that's where, where I think, when I think of your mother, I go, your mother would make jokes about things and, and they always came from such a good place in her soul. Like I always thought your mom's soul was very evident in the kind of humor she made. I don't think she was a mean-spirited comic. No, and there are a lot of mean-spirited comics yes. out there. But when you think about, and in the context of that kind of comedy, right now, and I think, again, this is historical perspective, Nowadays, we could not have a Lenny Bruce. We could not have a Richard Pryor. We could not have a George Carlin. We could not have a Joan Rivers. Um, I mean, hell, we probably, the only one we could probably have from that group would be Dick Cavett. You know, <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, and what's fascinating to me is the only one that I can really think of that's been given the pass is, Ch is Dave Chappelle. Yeah, but he does, when he tells his jokes, it's like Mark was saying, it's the context and you don't feel like it's mean-spirited. But when, um, you go, when you go back to a Richard Pryor, at the time it was not mean-spirited. When you go back to a Carlin, at the, in the context it was not mean-spirited. Lenny Bruce was not mean-spirited. Oh, but, well, no, no. Lenny had a bunch of anger though. Right, but and the Lenny jokes weren't, mean-spirited in the but, sense of attacking a, he was attacking institutions, not so much people. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested, well, Sabrina, talk to me about Dave Chappelle, because why, um, how do you think Dave Chappelle feels about the political correct climate we're in? Well, I remember Melissa and I were talking about it when- um, And by the way, I'm a huge Chappelle fan. Yes, when we, we were talking about it where Dave Chappelle took on Lemon, Remember, we were talking about that and how uh, Lemon was saying that, you know, the big celebrity should come behind. Don Lemon. Don, Don, Don Lemon. Lemon. Yep. Lemon was saying that the celebrities, you know, they should come from behind their big gates and their, you know, lavish lifestyles and they should get out here and fight and this, that and the other. And Dave came back and said, you know what? I'm sorry. With all due respect you're not that person. You're not in that position. You're more of a person of privilege. So you have to speak from a different lens. And I think that that's really what it's about. Stepping back and really looking through a different lens of what someone else's experience is. Their experience is not your experience. You're not walking in their shoes. So if we could try to have that level of compassion, I think we can get somewhere. But we got to start there first. 
everybody's so on their soapbox and it's like, stop it already. <laughs> I was, yeah. I had a funny conversation with my agent. Because you had a funny it, conversation with an agent? With, with my agent because- we Well, yeah, I'm, I'm serious, like with an agent? You had a yeah, funny conversation? Yeah. I have my agent of 18 years. We have, we laugh about things that are going on in society. And I said to him, and he made me laugh with this. I said to him, it was getting to the point where people in television, like, you know, if you had a character who is, you know, like you, you couldn't, I, I couldn't walk in with the, my idea for a funny Latino family show. They wouldn't, mm-hmm. they wouldn't let me do that now. And they wouldn't let me write for a majority black cast. I'm, I'm white. And suddenly I said to my agent, I go, God, am I even allowed to write majority female casts anymore? And my agent goes, oh, you're grandfathered in on that one. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, okay, good, good. Thank God, I, uh, it's your bread and my, butter. That's my whole career. I need to be able to write my ladies. Um, but but that's, that's, it's interesting because I do understand the importance of people being able to write what they know. Because especially in television where you write so quickly, you know, I as a showrunner, like there's certain things I know what I can write about. Um, but then it's interesting because it gets to a whole thing of, well, I really write about a upper middle class, Orange County, California, which is where I grew up, you know, mostly white exper- experience. Um, and certainly the Desperate Housewives reflected that. And even when we put the character of Gabrielle Solis in, um, the way I, I handled that, because thinking back to my own parents, my parents never really cared the color of the people who lived across the street. They just wanted to know that they made kept their lawn looking nice. That right. was like my parents' attitude about, don't care about the race. Are you going to keep the property values up? Oh, good. Good gardener. Yep. We, we like you. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I approached Gabrielle and Carlos. And Eva later said, you know, Mark, you created like the first yuppie Latino couple on TV. And I was like, oh, did I do that? Okay. And it was really me trying to just make sense of what was the commonality of the neighborhoods that I grew up in. And mostly it was race. But then, so it's, so the question is, that's what I know that I'm allowed to write and people expect it from me. But then the trick is how do I incorporate now people who look differently than me? And then how do I write those people? Do I give them my words? That the, some people would say, well, just get writers who represent those groups and they'll, they'll write that. And I go, you know, it doesn't quite work that way because ultimately I have to own every character I write. So, so it's usually people who don't write TV and don't know how to write TV telling you how to staff your show and how to do it. And that's, I think, when you talk about being terrified, that's the thing that scares me is when we're being told you need, you know, you, you as a white guy, you can't do this or this or this. And, and sometimes I go, gosh, I, I want inclusivity and I want people to have chances because if you're talented and you have a voice and you have something to say, you should have a chance. But I don't like it when it feels like censorship. So that's kind of what we're talking about for whether it's stand up or comedy. There, we're into a weird sort of censorship quota thing that starts to really um, restrict an artist's freedom. And that's where, that's where my spidey senses start tingling because I go, that's, we can't have that. So, it's, so that's, I think the place we're in right now is trying to balance both, which is let me write, let everyone write their characters, but don't, don't get too um, dictatorial to the artists. You know? Right. I mean, that opens up such a huge, you know, a huge question about, and it's, it's something 
I feel like, and, you know, with self-editing and being very self-conscious about what to say and what is, what is allowed to be funny, whether it's funny or not. And I find in writing, I'm holding back. And I find that incredibly difficult in the creative process because I'm someone, and with my writing partner, we throw everything against the wall. You know, if anyone ever saw the first draft of something, <laughs> yes. I would be over, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's, I, I'm, a lot of writers feel like if you get my first, if you can find my first draft, you now may begin to blackmail me. Yes, absolutely. Right. You know, but I find like what you're saying with the creativity, it, it it's very stifling. I mean, Sabrina sees first drafts of stuff and as funny as they are, you've sent it back to Larry and me going, no. <laughs> well, you know, what I'm always telling her, Mark, is that, um, you know, you have to kind of also think about your audience. Um, you're going to have those that intellectually really kind of get it. And that's no dig on anyone. But if you're telling the joke at that level and you're not kind of, I, I hate to sound this way, but you have to kind of resonate with your audience to a degree. And so sometimes they, someone may not get the joke and you want the person to laugh. So how can we, you know, be creative in a sense to draw them in so everybody is included? Now, I, that's kind of the way I see it sometimes. But and so she's like, really, really, Blanche? You didn't think that was funny? I do, but I'm a part of your group. I get your humor. You want it to, you want it to touch the masses if possible. Yeah, but well, it- and, and tone, tone. If you if you start out with a show that's going to come after everybody, you get a little bit more license. So sometimes the totality of what you're writing will help. Mm-hmm. Um, I was re- recently watching a Modern Family rerun, which I thought which I think is just a terrific show. But they, they did a, a joke about the little um, Asian daughter of, of the gay couple. And at some point they had given her a, a little child's car to drive and she drove it through the house and she crashed it. And the Eric Stone Street's character made the joke, oh, well, we always probably knew she wouldn't be good at driving. And I laughed. Yeah, I've seen that. And episode. I laughed and then I went, wait, are they allowed to make that joke? And this is a rerun. So they, they had made it a few years ago. And I thought, I wonder how much Sturm and Drang they went through to get that joke on the air, or if any, and would they be allowed to do the same joke today? And so it's a fascinating thing because they made fun of the stereotype. So that's, so it's weird because there's actually, it's, it's, they, they admitted the character kind of admitted to their own buy-in on a stereotype. And it's it, in the context, it made me laugh as an audience member at home. But then of course I was like, oh God, am I allowed to laugh at that? And we're just second guessing ourselves. And I guess maybe part of the conversation is, is it, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing for us to, to double check. Am I allowed to do that? And then you think and you go, oh. and some people might go, that joke's fine. We can handle that. People within the community might, might, might probably have an opinion about that. And I bet it's a divided opinion, quite frankly, if you ask members of the, the Asian community. But that's, I think, really at its best, what I'm hoping for is that the time we're living is just that extra second of, have we gone too far? Because we're coming out of an era where 
we just did whatever. And, and maybe being a little bit more sensitive is a good thing. And I think what some of us who are, have a cynical attitude towards life are saying are, okay, it's one thing to do the second thought, but let's, let's avoid a society where any joke can be shut down. You know, you go to, go to comedy prison for the rest of your life. I mean, that's, that's really where I look at it going, the pendulum swings back and forth. I just wanna make sure the, in these politically correct times, it doesn't swing too far to a, a p- place of unreasonableness. And some would argue it already has, but See, I, I feel like it, I feel like it already has. My biggest question is, are we allowed to laugh anymore? Are, like, like what I'm saying, like you said, like watching that Modern Family rerun, you laugh out loud and then you think, oh, you know, am I allowed to do that anymore? Sabrina the other day was on a call. We were on a call and she was just talking about some of the things that my mother said that were crazy hilarious. Yes, we were we were laughing. I think laughing. We were laughing. But I But also we can't say too. that. But we can't but you can't say any of that anymore. No. I mean, no. I have friends that I now censor myself around and I hate that feeling. I mean, but again, I'm genetically programmed to always go for the laugh. So it, I often wonder if it's just me feeling that way. I also wonder if is it the rise of, is that why TikTok is so popular? Because it's just basic silly humor, not such cerebral humor. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different ideas in there. And I first must say- now Sorry, run on question. I'm, I'm dying to hear what jokes your, your mother had said, because I'm sure that they were hilarious. So no, um, We can't say them on the air we, we, because we, we, we will be we will, canceled so fast. We, we, will, we will tell you- uh, Off after, the air. Off air. Okay. But um, you know what it is, is that I, I think that comedians respond to the, the, the cultural moment. So pe- people who are of that era respond to the issues of that era and then proceed to do their comedy from it. And I think it's so hard when the rebelling of, a, of against authority, which which formed so much of the the comic attitude of the '60s, you know, because you had your Rodney Dangerfields who were doing acts that were almost acceptable in any era, and then you had your George Carlin's and your Lenny Bruce's who were reacting against the '60s and authority. You know, the Vietnam War and Watergate really brought on a whole new attitude about authority, and and people began rebelling, you know, accordingly. And now we're living in an area where the big issue is, can I make fun of certain cultural moments? Can I make fun of a disadvantaged group if I'm not a part of that group? Um, and or what if, if I have something to say? And it is it is a sticky wicket because the Internet gives nameless, faceless people seemingly huge amounts of power over people who are not nameless or faceless. And I think that's the next step of what we have to to examine, which is why we care so much about a bunch of people who we don't even know who they are. Because networks like networks and studios, they really care what's being said on the internet. Advertisers really care. They do. And it's it's astounding because I think what we're doing is it's anti-democratic because the people who are feel mostly, you know, like I'm going to get to my computer and complain about this. They're not a scientific representation of the feelings of an entire community. Sure. And very rarely are the opinions expressed 
in in a reasonable way. Although I've read certainly many wonderful things written by people on the internet where they're talking about an issue and it's very insightful and, and well-reasoned and, and I enjoyed, enjoyed listening to their opinion expressed thusly. But for me, I, I think it's, a, it's almost like a case-by-case -case basis where you have to go, okay, this person got in trouble for this. Should they have? And then, then you have the debate. And that's what I miss more than anything because I can be persuaded by you know, intelligent debate. I just feel more than the death of comedy, it's intelligent debate is the, is the victim in all of this. If comedy was the intended victim, intelligent debate was the tool that was used to kill it. And I, I want to hear from people who don't look like me and haven't lived my life experience, as long as they're willing to hear from me. Right. Right. You know, because because my whole thing is that my life and, and Melissa, you you and your mom know, you know, my story, because I'm a guy who, despite my um, seemingly wonderful position of privilege that I live now, I went through some horrible times. I yes. was dead, dead broke for a while and, and so kicked out of this industry. Unfortunately, a little script I had about some women in the suburbs rescued me. But I don't like it if people just assume I've never suffered through anything or they want to dismiss any of my suffering because of my skin color. Because I go, no, I, I've been through horrible times and that's a part of myself. And I don't want someone to ever say that my what I went through is meaningless. It may be meaningless to you. It's not meaningless to me. And I was really down on my luck there for a while. Yeah. I mean, you know what I find too is that sometimes when you get into those conversations, it becomes, well, mine was worse than yours. You don't know it. You know, it's that kind of thing. Instead of just having the compassion that, hey, life happens to all of us. You don't know someone's walk of life. You know, you can't just judge by the book, the book cover. Right. And, you know, I go back to comedy. At the end, my mother, you know, when all of this sort of about six years ago, and all of this very PC waves had just started, she used to walk on stage and before she even started her act, would string together a, 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 a litany of the worst racial slurs you could possibly say. And she would then stop and you could hear the air being sucked out of the room. And she's like, we're all something. Now let's start the show. Interesting. Interesting. You know, and it was like, and I think that's what I miss the most is there is so much seriousness and so much darkness in the world we're living in. Sometimes just, just laugh at ourselves. Just we're all something. We've all gone through something, whether you're making fun. I mean, I just saw something. I live in Pacific Palisades, which is very desperate housewives. I, someone put up the funniest thing I have ever seen about how you know you're in the Palisades. And they go on this rant about, you know, that, some, that they heard that they polished the grapefruits at Air One. And literally laughing out loud. And you think, oh, my God, there's probably people out here who are finding that offensive. I think we've also lost the ability to laugh at ourselves. And I think that's sort of, it's this, this heaviness. Well, you know what? I, I, it's so funny that you, cause you brought up blazing saddles before. And as you know, that movie uses the N word in, in it for a, a couple of punchlines. We also couldn't do young Frankenstein by the yeah. way. And, and the thing that I think about for me, because as a mem as a gay man, um, you know, the, uh, I've certainly had some pejoratives hurled at me. And so, so I've had to ask myself the question of, 
okay, how do I feel about a stand-up comic ever using that word in his act? And, and I, speaking for myself and the, the group of which, which I'm a, a part of, you know, I do have a moment where I go, no, I still remember that when that u- u- word was used against me crossing the quad of my high school, when I was not um, out as a gay, gay boy, but clearly people could tell. Right. You know, I was no paragon of masculinity to be sure. <laughs> and I'm sorry and, to laugh, but I just love how you phrased that. You no, know, yeah, it's, it's, um, maybe it was the skipping that tipped them off. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that or the pearls. You know, one, one of the two. <laughs> one of the one two. Of the two. But my feeling is that like the cheaper, the cheaper stuff, like just, just a slur. I don't mind those words being censored. Right. I agree. If it's because, done as a slur. Because, because the, the end of the day, things that are used as a weapon just to inflict pain, for a lot of people, they go, I, I, don't, I don't want to be reminded of that. Right. By the way, that's not funny. And it's also not funny. Yeah. Um, but on the same token, the, the one trick becomes, but then do I want them to stop showing blazing saddles? And that's an unequivocal no for me. So to me, it's like, okay, go ahead and do the, do the five-minute explanation at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. But but again, it's just about having the debate of let's let's really have a, a talk about this in terms of and 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 mostly I want to hear from members of, of the communities in which the slurs represent in terms of how they they feel about these these words being used. Um, I, I don't actually understand, uh, and Sabrina could probably explain this better than I I could ever hope to understand it. I don't understand why why uh, we we let hip hip hop artists use pejorative words um, in their art form so much because it seems to me self defeating of greater things and especially some of the mis- misogynistic um, terms and and I think that if I had to go into the mind of the Trump voter that's the th- that's the thing where I think makes your average Trump voter and and I don't even want that to sound um, I'm too too dismissive. I really don't. But it makes people want people can understand equality. Make a rule where I follow it and you follow it. Absolutely. It's the rule. It's the rule where you go. Wait a minute. You're allowed to do this, but I'm not. That's the thing that I think. If you started talking to a bunch of people, they they go, we don't. We're not. It's not equality anymore. You know. Like right. we were, it, it was a little bit better three decades ago because there was some kind of art, whatever quality really means. There was some kind of standard we're going to. And now the whole, you're allowed to say something, but I'm not, that's really frustrating. And I think it's the death of comedy. Well, think about Richard Pryor at some point in his career, toward the end of his career, he stopped saying the N-word because he felt like it was a disservice. Right. And so until you as an individual come to that consciousness, mm-hmm. then, you know, we could talk to them all day, hip hop or whomever, when they're saying, oh, you my nigga, because what they're saying, it's supposed to be like, um, you know, you're the homie, you're the friend, you're the brother. But honestly, you hear that word out in the streets and you're like, those are fighting words. And it's right. like, okay, you're on, you, which side of the fence are you going to get on today? I mean, I, I do think, I think, you know, I, say, I think there's certain words that are off limits, but, you know, again, it comes back down to, and not about that. And we can go into a much deeper discussion because it's something that Sabrina and I do discuss a lot is, you know, artistic license, 
which I think is different than comedy. You know, I think it's hard to really, put. It's a step, it's a step, you know, it's a cousin to it, but it's, yeah. It's, not- it's, it's, it's comedy adjacent. Kind of like parts of Beverly Hills, they say are Beverly Hills, but really they're Beverly Hills adjacent, even though they have the same zip code. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mark, I love you, adore you. I want to continue this conversation. Um, you are brilliant. And what I love is you're so smart and you see this in such the broader perspective. And I am so grateful Sabrina, I'm sure you're feeling, I hope you're feeling the same way. I am. He has such a huge heart. That's that's what I would like people to take away from this. Yeah. I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Well, it is so, can I just say when I, when I um, heard that you were interested in having me on one, it was like, oh good, I get to see Melissa. So that, you know, that, that was it. And also any chance I, I get to, to, pay homage to your mother's work is, is worth my time because I was such a, a fan of her as an artist and as a human being. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, my love, you take care. Bye.